Father, we thank you that the battle is not ours, it's yours. We thank you that you fight for us, that you are faithful, that you promise to never leave us. We pray your mighty protection over this service today. We take this moment to bind and command any device of the enemy, any scheme of the enemy. And we cast it to the feet of Jesus because it does not belong here. This is the Lord's house. His people are covered by the blood of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you fill us afresh? Would you help us just be aware of your presence? Speak to your children today, Father. We are here to hear from you. In your mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning, guys. If we have not met, my name is Jenna. Um, I have the privilege of serving on our oversight team here at Regen, along with my husband, Mike, um, and also as youth ministry leaders. Uh, We have two little girls who are probably running around here somewhere. Oh, yeah, they're in the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, Two little blondes, Landry and Addie. Um, So... I would just like to say that nothing says family like trying to wrangle someone else's kids. So if you could just make sure they don't get through those doors out there to the parking lot, we'd greatly appreciate that. (laughs) So we are in the midst of a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer and how the different elements of the Lord's Prayer shapes our prayer life. Um, So today we are going to be taking a look at the last part of the prayer, the Father's protection. So would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us the food we need today. Forgive us what we have done wrong, as we have forgiven those who have wronged us. And do not lead us into hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. For kingship, power, and glory are yours forever. Amen. But keep us safe from the evil one. In a world that thrives on the disorder of conflict and strife, we come here today to seek the presence and the peace of our loving Heavenly Father. I don't know about you, but I leave here most Sundays just feeling the Lord's peace upon me, excited for what he has for me in the upcoming week, and also just so excited for lunch. (laughs) I leave here on Sundays feeling calm, but I find that sometimes throughout my week, I make this choice to let the disorder and the chaos of this world rule my day, crowding out the peace of Jesus. Mike and I found ourselves in a situation not too long ago where I was going to be losing my job. 
Not an ideal situation, but hey, it's okay. We'll make it work. Uh, just take a deep breath, Jenna. <sighs> okay, Jenna, Jesus has got you. It is all good. And then one day, as I'm standing at work, I get a phone call from Mike. And he says that he is going to be losing his job at the exact same time. Are you kidding me? In a moment's time, the cool collected peace that Jesus had placed on me was tossed aside. And then the chaos ensued in my head and my heart. I turned to this place of complete disorientation as the thoughts raced through my mind. What are we going to do? How are we going to pay our bills? Do we sell our house? What's our next step? Mike and I truly felt like my job was potentially the Lord calling me into a new season. But his job, that just felt like the enemy was taunting us. Like, jumping Jehoshaphat Jenna, get it together, girl. <laughs> Try to figure this out. Focus, Jenna. Focus on every detail so that you can figure this out. The more I tried to figure it out, the more paralyzing it became. And then came the doubts from the back of my mind. Where are you, Lord? Why are you letting this happen? I am praying to you, Lord. Why can I not hear you right now? Maybe it hasn't been a job loss for you. Perhaps it's been another situation where you were so rattled that you could just not think straight. The level of disorientation so blinding and deafening, making it hard to hear anything but the loud voices screaming in your mind, figure this out, take control. You listen because if you don't take control of the situation, the anxiety and the fear threaten to take control of you. It's completely overwhelming. But the good news, my friends, is that you are not the first person to feel overwhelmed when the enemy tries to stir up some chaos. So would you open your Bibles or open your phones to 2 Chronicles 20? That's 2 Chronicles 20. So today we are going to be taking a look at the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. So scripture does not tell us why King Jehoshaphat was so jumpy, but it does tell us that he was a king who submitted to the Lord. He was loyal and he had a heart for the Lord. And because of this, he was blessed with a strong seasoned military and an abundance of military resources. Despite his strong military presence in the area, we see that the enemy was still willing to attack. Scripture says that three countries surrounding Judah decided to come together and attack, and they were only one day's march away from Jerusalem. So let's take a look, starting in verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat was terrified. I mean, if I were surrounded by the enemy, I would be too. I can only imagine his physical response to this news. His heart racing. 
every, every breath feeling heavier than the last. Panic, threatening to paralyze him in fear. The chaos of this news just causing complete disorientation. Focus, Jehoshaphat, focus. But what are his next steps? Well, we see here that his initial response isn't to take control or figure it all out. But rather, we see his focus go from acknowledging the disorientation of the attack to focusing on the Lord. Verse 3 says that he begged the Lord for guidance, and he ordered everyone in Judah to fast. Then verse 4 tells us that he gathered his country, his community of people, his spiritual family, if you will, to seek the Lord together. This idea of seeking the Lord is scattered throughout this passage. The word seek in Hebrew is bakash. Now, bakash is a verb that means to search out, specifically in prayer and worship. It's not just searching for a solution to a problem. It's purposefully searching for the Lord, for his presence and his will. The process of bakash, or seeking the Lord, it leads to this intense focus on the Lord with our otherwise scattered heart and our blurred senses. It takes us from this state of disorientation and chaos, and it flips it to a state of deep attention or concentration or focus. This text shows us that Jehoshaphat was focused on the Lord a couple of different ways. One of those ways being fasting. Fasting. It's that biblical practice that we love to hate, right? Maybe not hate, but thoroughly dislike. And why? Because it's this practice of pruning. It shows us what is truly ruling our hearts, and it's abstaining from that so that we have more room in our hearts for someone else. Theologian Richard Foster states, Fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of spiritual activity. There is nothing wrong with these normal functions in life. It is just that there are times when we set them aside in order to concentrate. So in fasting, you are abstaining, not only to be reminded that you are sustained by God, but just to focus your wholehearted attention on the Father. As John Wesley put it, Let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eye singly fixed on him. Jehoshaphat focused on the Father through the act of fasting, but as the text shows us, he also turned his attention to the Lord by calling his people, his spiritual family, together to pray. Verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. Verse 9. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. 
we can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Verse 11. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave as an inheritance. O our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. This prayer, starting in verse 5, is known as a prayer of lament. Lament is a type of prayer that is used for sadness and sorrow. It's not a final prayer. It's it's an in-the-meantime prayer. It's used for when you are in the trenches of grief. It communicates that you recognize and you acknowledge the feelings of sorrow. But instead of settling into a state of despair, it's a prayer that looks to the Father for hope. Lament is a type of prayer that is well known to the ancient church. It is seen throughout the Old and New Testament. It makes up between one-third to one-half of the Psalms. We even see Jesus lament as he is hanging, nailed to the cross. Matthew recounts where Jesus shouted, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is not an accusation of Jesus, from Jesus. It is him acknowledging the grief that he is enduring. And it's a nod to Psalm 22, a psalm of lament, where David expresses his sorrow to God over the taunting of his enemies. And just like Jesus and David, we see Jehoshaphat lament over the sorrow created by his enemy. So taking a closer look at this passage, we see that Jehoshaphat laments for a few reasons. He laments as an expression of solidarity in the suffering with his spiritual family as they are gathered together. He laments as a call to action, a plea to help from God. But he laments by laying everything before the Lord. It's this act of taking every emotion in your suffering and giving it to the Lord. It's the action of inviting Jesus into all parts of us. Listen, friends, God loves your emotions. He created them after all. He's not asking you to hide them from him. I have a friend um, who once told me that as she walks through uh, hard seasons, she will sit before the Lord, and she will sit with her hands raised and her fists clenched, and she will give it all to the Lord. She sits the anger, the grief, the worry, the sadness, the anxiety, the depression. She lays it at his feet. She gives it all to him. She says that by the time that she is done praying, she finds that her stance goes from closed fists and up to her hands open. The stance that tells Jesus that you are ready and willing to accept whatever he has for you because your hands are no longer full. And that, that's what he wants. He wants it all, the good, He wants the bad. He wants the ugly. So we see how this prayer of lament reinforces intimacy with the Lord, but it also just fortifies our trust in God. Let me just say that again. Lament reinforces our intimacy with the Lord, 
but it fortifies our trust in God. Looking at verse 6. O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Jehoshaphat isn't saying this just to flatter the Lord and beg for his ear. And if we have learned anything today, we know that he wouldn't be using words to get the Lord's attention, but rather the physical act of jumping, because he is called Jumping Jehoshaphat. I think I just saw Mike's eyes roll. It's okay, though. (laughs) So back to verse 6. We see that Jehoshaphat uses this language of lament to bolster his own trust in the Lord, to remind himself and Judah how the Lord is sovereign, powerful, and he is a faithful God. He then continues down memory lane in verses 7 through 9 to take their eyes from the despair of the situation and raise them to the hope that is in God. To really nail down this intimacy, we see um, his intimacy and trust. We see him humbly lay it all out on the line in verse 12. We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. The pure, unadulterated vulnerability that this leader, a king nonetheless, showed before others. What a touching expression of trust in the Lord that he demonstrated by admitting weakness while holding a place of strength and power. Vulnerability. It's a requirement for kingdom leadership. It's also a requirement for kingdom participation. When we say yes to the Father's invitation of stepping outside of our comfort zone, that is where growth happens. Vulnerability. It's admitting that despite your title, your past accomplishments, or the letters after your name, that you do not have the answers but you have access to the one who does. Vulnerability is admitting that you don't have the strength, the capacity, or the endurance to deal with whatever the enemy is throwing your way. But you have access to the one who provides all of that to you as you look to him. And here we see Jehoshaphat humbly submitting, showing that the authority and power that rest on him is not because of his birthright or his title as king. Rather, it is received out of relationship with the one true king. He vulnerably shows that he is not the one with answers, but he intensely focuses and he seeks the one who does. His humble submission and concentration on the Lord does not go unanswered. And actually, It gets answered in a very big way. Picking back up in verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. This is being read to you today by Jenna, daughter of Lynette, daughter of Janet, a North Jacksonite who was a descendant of Vera. (laughs) 
verse 15, he said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will, you will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. Verse 17. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. The third way that we see Jehoshaphat focus on the Lord is through a listening prayer. Now, this text does not show us how much time has elapsed um, between the end of Jehoshaphat's prayer and the prophetic response. But what we do know is that they had positioned themselves to hear from the Lord. As they postured themselves in this stance of submission through fasting and prayer, their focus was on the Lord, and it gave them the space away from the chaos to hear from God. This text, it shows us how we should treat prayer as a two-way dialogue, not just a one-sided conversation where we present our requests to God and then go on with our day. In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Notice how he says that they listen to his voice. It's this idea of quieting ourselves so that we can hear from the Father. He assumes that as his sheep, as his children, we hear his voice. You see, the prophetic is one of the beautiful ways in which God communicates with this world. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us the gift of prophecy is meant to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the body of Christ. But at the heart of it, the Father talks to his people because he desires to have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with you and me. He longs for us to receive revelation and respond to it by being transformed, by becoming more like him. This text, it reveals something really awesome about the Lord. When we are in the midst of attack, there are times when we are focused, but it's as if there's cotton in our ears. It makes the sounds and the voice is muffled, so we aren't able to hear clearly what is being said to us. But the Lord is gracious, and the cotton in our ears do not stop him from speaking to us. In his book, The Problem with Pain, C.S. Lewis states, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When Mike and I were walking through this trial with our jobs, I came to a point of what I like to call like a blurred focus of the Lord. Um, I knew he was present with us. I knew that he was asking me to keep my eyes on him, but I was not able to hear him clearly. Cotton in the ears. It was as if this cloud of despair had kind of muffled his voice. 
And then there was one night when I received a phone call from a very dear friend who, with the loving grace of Jesus, pointed out how I had not fully surrendered this issue because I was trying to handle it on my own. She asked me who I had asked to pray with me over this issue. The answer was no one. So, in my desperation, I did end up calling two beautiful women from our spiritual family. We gathered, we prayed together, and we listened. And that day, do you know what happened? We sat in the Lord's presence. As I sat there, I wasn't engulfed by the overwhelming feelings of being disoriented. My breathing wasn't stifled from the chaos of the situation. But I was surrounded by the overwhelming feeling of peace and love as I heard the sweet words that my heavenly Father had spoken over me prophetically through my friends. The words that he had probably been telling me the whole time, but because of my blurred focus and deafened despair, I could not hear but he is patient and he is a faithful father and he was merciful enough to use the megaphone of my spiritual family to cut through my deafness. And this is where community is key, friends. Sometimes our loving father pierces right through the cotton in our ears by speaking prophetically through others. The Lord offers this buffer of community because when you are in the thick of it, When your head is spinning so fast that you can't tell your left from your right, God can use your spiritual family as his mouthpiece to tell you to sit, refocus your attention on him so that you can hear the sweet words he has to say to you. In this passage, we see Jehoshaphat under attack from the enemy. He's fearful of the outcome even though he had the protection of a fortified army and did not need to be afraid. Funny how the enemy does that, right? Causes us to be fearful when we have no reason to fear. But what is Jehoshaphat's immediate response? He focuses. And here is what Jehoshaphat learns. When your faith is under fire, the Father invites you to focus in on him. When your faith is under fire, the Father invites you to focus on him. And what does the Lord do in response to Jehoshaphat's intense focus? He answers him. In the words of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the Lord says, Hey, Jehoshaphat, I noticed you noticing me, so I want to put you on notice that I noticed you too. (laughs) You just wow me. (laughs) Unlike Will Smith, there is no slapping involved because the Lord is gracious and loving. But the enemy, on the other hand, he will try to slap you around. So when the enemy comes knocking at your door, Notice that I said when and not if. When the enemy comes knocking at your door, when the attack ensues, when the fear comes, when the chaos surrounds you, 
The Lord invites you into battle with him, not by taking up arms, but by humbly surrendering to him, by focusing on him. So if you are in the midst of battle and you are questioning, Lord, why are you letting me go through this? Here's what I have to say. We have a sovereign God. We do not know everything on his mind when we are walking through certain seasons. But here's what we do know. As we walk through times of trouble and trial, suffering and grief, and we focus our attention on him in the midst, we are becoming more like him. And we are also standing firm against the enemy. So in the midst of battle, don't be afraid to ask, where are you, Lord? Because the Lord answers, Jess, I am here with you. In the middle of battle, don't be afraid to ask, where are you, Lord? Because the Lord answers, Heather, I am here with you. Where are you, Lord? The Lord answers, Jason, I am here with you. Stand still. Focus on me. Watch me fight for you. Don't be afraid because I am right here beside you. When you seek out the Lord, when you dial in your concentration of him, the Lord promises that you will find him. Scripture says if you look for him wholeheartedly, he will be found by you. So let me quickly tell you the rest of Jehoshaphat's story. The next day, Judah kept their focus on the Lord by worshiping him on the way to where the enemy was. When they arrived, uh, the Lord did as he said he would. He had already fought the battle for them. So jumping down to verse 24. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point of the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. The victory was theirs because the Lord fought for them. Um, if this story sounds familiar to you, then you get a gold star award today. Uh, Kyle preached on this last December. Uh, if you do not remember, there is no shame because I chose this passage like six weeks after he preached on it. So it, it is all good. Um, but if you haven't heard it, highly recommend that you take a listen because he does a great job of articulating the Father's protective love through worship um, that is seen in the latter part of this passage. So for those of you that are here today thinking, yeah, I'm not there yet. I am still in battle. There is hope because the victory is already yours. Jesus went to battle for you on the cross he defeated sin and death and the devil, and he came out victorious through the resurrection. Here's the good news, friends. Jesus sacrificed himself so that we could be victorious. So for those of you in the midst of battle, my question to you today is, where is your focus? Where is your focus? If your answer isn't on the Father, what step is he asking you to take today to turn your attention to him? Is it, is it leaning into lament? Is it posturing yourself to hear from him? 
Is he asking you to call someone in your spiritual family to fast and pray with you today? For those of you who are not yet sure about Jesus, if you have this unsettled feeling of being overwhelmed, like your tank is on empty and you are running on fumes, can I just invite you to look to Jesus today? He is ready and he is waiting for you. He is not looking at you in shame and disappointment, but with love in his eyes, his arms wide open, just longing to be with you. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are merciful, that you are loving. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts today to see the ways that you are protecting us. We thank you that your word says that when we seek refuge in you, we can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that is set before us. So we just grab that right now, Lord. We grab that hope. Let your hope be a strong and steady anchor for our souls. In your mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. So here at Regen, we don't want to be people that just hear the word, but we want to be people who can put it into practice. And so we take this time just to reflect on what we've heard. We take this time to ask the Father together what he might be saying to us and what our next step is. And so as Jenna was talking, and she already put us in the posture of thinking about what we can do with the message that we just heard, um, my question is when we have those times of attack that we feel or when we have those hard things that we're walking through, um, because it's so hard to focus then, what is something that we can be thinking of now that we can already decide now to put into practice as a way to set our focus. So let's think about that. Um, let's ask the Father together, and then um, Julia will play. Father, thank you so much for the message that we've heard this morning. Thank you for your presence that's been here the whole time and will continue. Thank you that you are such a great focal point that when we need to focus, there's nothing better to focus on than you. And that's exactly what we need. So would you help us as we walk through those times, would you help us now to decide the very best practice, um, whether it's calling for prayer, prayer ourselves, meditation, or a mixture, um, 
Would you help us to just choose that now? And then would you remind us of that when the time comes when we need it most? It's in your son's name. Amen.